Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. And you can do that by clicking on the giving link located in the description below this video, online at fellowshipgj.com, or if you're a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us today and enjoy today's service.
breakthrough is gonna come. The heaviness will ever subside. He wants to remind you that he defends you, that he fights for you. Exodus 14, 14 says, just be still, the Lord himself will fight for you. So we are in full surrender this morning, Jesus, that you go out on our behalf, you go before us.
So Lord, we know there's been times in our life where we've been lost. We're lost. We lost ourselves. But you always knew where to find us because you never left our side. And right now, Lord, maybe we may feel a little lost in this room. Maybe going through something that we don't understand. Maybe we've taken some wrong turns along the way, made some poor decisions. But Lord, thank you for loving us through it. Thank you for never stop loving us and, and Lord, for bringing us back to you. And I pray right now for, for anyone in this room that may just feel like they're a little lost, a little distant from, from you. I, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just come upon us in a new way. Holy Spirit, fill us in a new way and that we would feel your presence in a new way. Lord, you'd speak those loving words like you always do when we come back to you. Minister to our hearts. Thank you, God, for always loving us, for always being there for us. Lord God, thank you for every storm you've ever brought us through. And we thank you in advance for bringing us through the storm we're in right now. Thank you, Jesus, for these things. We praise you. Amen. Let's give him a praise offering. That God will never stop following you. He'll never stop reaching after you. He'll never let you down. Well, as you guys make your way back to your seats, if you would just greet each other and show the love of Christ. We have a beautiful church family. Get to know one another. If you're watching online, thank you so much for being a part of our church family. Thank you so much for choosing us. We know that you have a lot of different services that you could choose from on a Sunday morning, but we appreciate you choosing fellowship and we really consider you a part of our family. And if you're maybe watching for the first time at home and you'd like a little more information about Fellowship Church, we'd love to get that to you. It's super easy. Just get out your smartphone and if you'll text the word fellowship to 94,000, you'll be given a link over to uh, some more information about the church. Now, if you're visiting here in our uh, auditorium live, uh, of course, you can do that too. You can use your smartphone to register. We'd love to have a record of you being here and also get you an invitation to an upcoming uh, guest services or guest uh, reception that we'll be having here in the next few weeks. But if you'd like to register in person, you can do so by going back to the information counter, fill out a visitor's card, and you'll actually get a free specialty drink to ever, for everyone in your visiting party. So take advantage of that. Well, guys, we have been in just the most unbelievable week uh, here at Fellowship Church. God is blessed in some incredible ways. So one of the things that we did a little different this week is we did uh, baptisms on Tuesday and Wednesday night for high school and middle school, uh, which was incredible. Baptized 34 students um, just last week, which is really awesome. And uh, which is just a God thing. And I was able to go and watch uh, on Wednesday night. And I'm telling you, it was so special. And we they set it up the same way that we set it up for our weekend services, uh, of course, but they, uh, there was, they told the students, they said, hey, we're going to read a little bit of something, a little something about them and, and what their life was before they met Christ and how their life has been after. And, and we're going to read that. And then when you see one of your friends get into the baptismal waters, come out of the stands and uh, be a part of the baptism with them. And uh, so like students um, and how they are and how exuberant they are, as soon as they would see a friend that would get in the water, they would run out of the stands and they would run over to the student and they would, they would be a part of the prayer and they would be a part of the baptism. It was just such a beautiful thing. And we had one little girl that came and my, the, the staff is really, really good about um, calling the parents, sending notes home and saying, hey, uh, they're being, you're, you know, your child's being baptized, love for you to be a part of the service, which we had tons of parents there for that. But we had one girl that came up to us and said, I don't have anybody here. And uh, I just was dropped off, but I, you know, I still want to be baptized. And so uh, the, the blue team person, that's what we call our, our, middle school and high school uh, volunteers, she went around and she just told the different blue teamers, hey, just so you know, this girl's here. She's by herself. She doesn't have anybody to run up for her when she gets baptized. So will you be a part of that? And so when she got in the water, the blue team just came from everywhere and 
This is actually a picture yeah. of it. And so we were her family that night. And it was just incredible. And then so for many of you, you were in our baptismal services. Uh, in between service, it was incredible. So we baptized a total of 94 people this week uh, for the Lord. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you feel it or not. I feel like you probably feel the way I do. God is doing something super special in our church right now. And he is moving. The Holy Spirit is moving. And there is incredible things happening. And we never can take for granted 34 students and 90 total people in a week being baptized. We can never take that for granted. I grew up in a church where we might baptize one person a year. And we just were blessed enough to be a part of 90 in a week. Not only that, so last week, uh, Friday and Saturday night, we, have our, we had our spiritual warfare seminar. We had almost 200, 199 people go through spiritual warfare Friday and Saturday. Once again, God is moving. God is doing great things. And we get to be a part of it. We get to see it. And so thank you for that. Thank you for your love, your support. Thank you for praying. We sent out a, a, a social media picture of everybody that was at the, at the retreat and just said, hey, would you please pray for everybody that's going through this process? And it was awesome. God met in such an incredible way and just, he just blows us away, blows us away with his blessing. So God's doing some awesome stuff and we're so blessed, so, so blessed to be a part of it. And none of it could happen without your giving. None of it could happen without tithes and offerings. And this is a time in the service when we've worshiped God with music. Now we're gonna just worship with the giving back. And thank you so much. Thank you for how generous you are. Without you, we couldn't do what we do. And of course, without God, we couldn't do any of it. And he is moving and it is so, so cool. So as you get ready to give this morning, let me just pray a prayer of blessing over you. Lord, we love you. Thank you that we get to get in on your move. You're doing a new thing and we're so excited to see it. And I pray now that as we give back to you, just a portion of what you've given to us, and 10%, this is nothing in comparison to what you give us. But I pray, Lord, that you would just are, are faithful and help us to be faithful with everything that comes in. I pray, Lord God, that it would be used and be sufficient for your needs. And I pray, Lord God, that you would continue to expand our territory for your kingdom. Help us to reach everybody that we can in this valley, in this state, throughout this world for you, because our days are short. We love you. We thank you for how awesome you are. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a lot of stuff going on here at Fellowship, and here's a few things that are coming up. All the ladies, yeah. We are so excited to start hosting a women's luncheon once a month in the Two Rivers Room. $20 will cover the cost of your lunch and materials. There's no childcare provided, but you can sign up on the Church Center app. The main purpose of this event is connection. There are phenomenal professional women that are looking for networking opportunities. The lunch will have 20 to 30 minutes of teaching, followed by group discussion. The first luncheon will be going over material from Joel Osteen's Your Greater is Coming. Lunch starts at 11.30 on March 8th, and you'll be filled up and back to work by 1 p.m. Spiritual warfare this weekend was an incredible time together. The new freedom and authority that people are walking in is inspiring. If you missed it, it's okay. The full curriculum with digital download is available so that you can go through it on your own. In fact, all of Pastor Tim's seminars and classes are over there. So if you're needing some fresh material or you're in between Bible studies, check out these amazing resources in the bookstore. Our media and adult ministries team have done an incredible job for making connecting, growing, and serving easy for you. If serving is your next step, go on the Church Center app and find the spot for you. On the home screen, under serving opportunities is where you'll see all of our different places that are needing your help. Tap on the area that you're interested in. There's a brief description of what the commitment looks like, Fill out your information and that ministry leader will get in contact with you as soon as possible. If you'd rather talk to someone in person, our connection team is located at the pergola on the east end of the lobby. The first week of Unsung Heroes of the Bible was so encouraging. You're going to love diving deeper with Pastor JL in this moving story. But first, enjoy the special. I will 
tell anyone, but my name is not actually JL. It's legally Jessica Lindsley, and I've been going by my initials my entire life. It all began in elementary school when I walked in to my very first day of kindergarten with my pink tie-dye backpack, and I discovered that there were five Jessicas in my grade. Apparently, it was the most popular name to name your baby girl in the year that I was born, and I realized very quickly I had no desire to be Jessica number four in kindergarten. And so I asked the teacher, could I please go by my nickname? My dad and mom sometimes call me by my initials, JL, and she readily agreed because I don't think she wanted to call me Jessica number four either. And so it just sort of stuck from there through all high school, into college, growing up, sports, camps, everything I participated in, I just went by the name JL. And then when I got here and became an ordained pastor, Writing out Pastor JL as initials really felt masculine. And every time someone called and asked for me, they thought I was a guy. And so I thought, you know what? It's a nickname. I can change the spelling. So I did. And I changed the spelling into the more feminine form that I go by now. But technically, it's not that at all. But then you would imagine how excited I was when I discovered this hardcore chick in the Bible named JL. And when I told Pastor Hooper that I was going to preach on JL from the Bible, he said, who? That's how unsung this hero actually is. And so I can't be too hard on her. She does spell her name wrong, but I can't be too hard on her because she got us in the Bible, and so she must have been pretty cool after all. Now, this is a story that is epic. If Hollywood produced this as a movie, it would certainly be rated R. It would be action-adventure. This has war. It has intrigue. It has betrayal. This story is absolutely intense. But to make it make sense, we have to back up a few, uh, like a whole chapter before JL even is on the scene and set the tone for the message in the book of Judges. Now, the book of Judges, the people of God are going through this cycle and they go around this cycle all the time. And what happens is, is they're worshiping God and things are going well. And then they begin to sin and they mess up and they start worshiping idols and it gets bad. And then God allows an enemy nation to come in and oppress them. And they're oppressed and life gets really difficult for them. And then some Some of those people begin to cry out to God saying, set us free, redeem us, and they repent of their sins and mistakes, and so then they they move towards where God now sends a judge or a leader to speak to them, to lead them, to challenge them, and to overthrow their oppressors. And then they do, and then they serve God through the lifetime of that judge, and then the judge dies, And pretty soon, they start sinning again, worshiping idols, and around and around the cycle they go. And this happens throughout the entire book of Judges. And we're going to jump into Judges chapter 4. Now, in this part, we find that the people of God are sinning and are oppressed by an evil dude named King Jabin. And the commander of his army is Commander Sisera. And Commander Sisera is just an awful guy. You should picture ISIS actual terrorists, okay? He has 900 iron chariots, and they don't fight King Jabin. He doesn't fight army to army. He fights like guerrilla warfare style any citizen of the king of Israel that he can find. And so what he does is he puts Sisera with his iron chariots on all the major roadways throughout all of Israel. And he unleashes them, not on an army, but on the individual people of the nation of Israel. And so suddenly they're so oppressed they can't travel on their roadways. They can't go visit relatives. They can't buy goods or services. They can't make any money. They can't sell their own products that they've grown because every time they get on a roadway, Sisera's chariots attack them beat them, rob them, steal from them, and leave them bloodied, sometimes murdered, and the women, they do even worse. And so this is the plight of the nation of Israel at this time. And in this moment, some people begin to repent. They cry out to God. They say things are really bad. They turn from their idols. And as a result, God sends a judge or a leader named Deborah. 
Now, Deborah is a pretty cool girl. The Bible tells us that she's filled with wisdom and insight, and she's able to judge situations correctly. And so the people of Israel come to meet with Deborah in a grove of palm trees called the Palms of Deborah, and she listens to their cases, and she judges and helps people sort out their disputes. And she's also filled with the Holy Spirit. And so because she's filled with the Holy Spirit, she speaks with wisdom and authority, and people listen. Well, one day, God speaks to Deborah, and he tells her that he is going to set the people free, that he's going to overthrow their oppressors. And this is extremely welcome news, but it's also very intimidating. So Deborah calls for the military leader of Israel at the time, a man named Barak. And we're going to pick up the story in Judges chapter 4, verse 6. It says, one day she sent for Barak, son of Avinamam who lived in Kadesh in the land of Naphtali. And she said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you. Call out 10,000 warriors from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun at Mount Tabar. And I will call out Cicero, the commandant of Jabin's army, along with all of his chariots and his warriors, to the Kishon River. And there I will give you victory over him. Now, Barak was no fool. He knew from a military standpoint that this was not a battle, it was a slaughter. He knew that if he went out with his army of men, that the men with iron chariots could easily overrun them. Israel had no iron technology, and these guys did. They basically had some sticks and some rocks and maybe some slingshots, and they were going up against 900 iron chariots. And you know that if they had iron technology enough to make chariots, they also had swords of iron and shields to defend themselves. It was not a fair fight. So Barak says to Deborah in verse 8, he says, Barak told her, I will go, but only if you go with me. Very well, she replied, I will go with you, but you will receive no honor in this venture, for the Lord's victory over Sisera will be at the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh, and at Kadesh, Barak called together the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 warriors went up with him. Deborah also went with him. Now, in two verses, two times, it mentions that Deborah went with him. And I think that's really important because a lot of people look at Barak and they say, this guy is a wimp. He's the commander of Israel's armies, and yet he knew if he took Deborah with him to battle that he wouldn't get the credit. He wouldn't get the glory. What a wimp. But I look at it and I go, what a man of character. He didn't care who got the credit as long as his people were set free. He wasn't a glory hog. He wasn't looking at this battle going, I got to be the man strutting my stuff when this thing is done. He said, whatever it takes for my people to win, that's what I'm willing to do. So he didn't have any um, qualms about bringing Deborah into the battle. And that's the first battle lesson for us this morning is do not worry about credit. Focus on results. Focus on results. The truth is that anything worth fighting for is bigger than one person. Anything worth building takes more than one person to build, and Barack seemed to understand that. He did not care. He wanted to win. And when we look at our lives and the things we're building in our families or in our workplaces or in our community, the things that we're putting our hand to are often bigger than any one person. And if we attack those things with the mindset of, I don't care who gets glory, I don't care who gets credit, I don't care who's famous, I just want to build what God is calling me to build. I want to fight how he's calling me to fight. Then all of a sudden, God can give us victories in battles. But God knows He knows what you sacrifice for your family. He knows what you sacrifice for your workplace. He knows, don't worry about trying to look good. Just be confident in him. Hebrews 6 says, for the Lord is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have shown your love to him by caring for other believers as you still do. God sees what you did in the battle and it doesn't matter who gets the credit. So, Deborah and Barak, they go off into this lopsided, messy battle where they have no earthly chance of winning. Judges 5 gives us more insight. It says, yet not a shield nor a spear could be seen among the 40,000 warriors of Israel. 
They didn't have a single shield or spear. And that brings us to our second point in the battle plans. The second truth is this. Don't be afraid of battles that only God can win. Don't be afraid of battles only God can win. If the battle is simple, if the battle is easy, if the battle is something that you can do without God, that type of battle doesn't even catch his attention. But the battles God gets involved in are the battles that are impossible. The battle that you look at it and you go, there is no way, there is no way I can win this. Those are the battles that grab onto God's heart. Battles like chronic pain, prodigal sons and daughters, infertility, financial ruin, struggling businesses, heartbreak, crippling anxiety, cancer. Those are the battles that pull God's attention into what's going on. On June 12th of 2022, last year, I preached a sermon about holding on to the promises of God. And if you remember, I taught on several promises from the Bible and how we should hold on to them. And through that, I told the stories of people in our church family that were holding on to those promises. And I want to play a short clip of a woman, a story that I'm telling of a woman named Peggy from our church family. Let's take a a listen. A woman I know named Peggy came into our church offices last month to meet with us in person. She's been a faithful part of our online church family since 2020. And due to her cancer diagnosis, she's been unable to really join us much here in the worship center. And she was a member of Fellowship Church years and years ago, but drifted away because life, right? And she wanted to meet with us again in person because she is pretty confident that we'll be performing her funeral service before the end of the year. And she wanted us to know her. Peggy is dying, yet, She might be the most alive person I've ever had the privilege of meeting. Peggy has pancreatic cancer, and it's ravaging her physical body. And she told me this. She said, I am glad I got cancer in my body because the cancer in my body exposed that I already had cancer in my soul. She'd been a believer for years, but life happened, and she drifted away, and she said she lost her first love. She became lukewarm, a casual, almost flippant Christian. She told me, if God heals my physical cancer, I'll rejoice. But if he heals me by taking me home, I'll rejoice too. To live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what the Apostle Paul says in the Bible. And she wanted me to tell you as a church family, she wanted to tell you that she does not feel cheated because she's sick. Because her cancer got healed in her relationship with Christ. And she wants you all to know that even if she does, or whenever she does, go home to be with the Lord, that she wants you to know that she was never alone, that she was never without his peace, that she was never forsaken, not even for a second. And she wants us to know that she is healed of the cancer that ate at her soul, even though the physical cancer still eats at her body. Well, guess what? I talked to Peggy this week, and she's had her second PET scan, and she is cancer-free. The doctor said he cannot detect cancer anywhere in her body. Talk about a battle that only God could win. Only God could take a woman from right here at Fellowship Church who's planning her funeral and instead bring her to where she's living her best life one day at a time. Verse 14. Then Deborah said to Barak, get ready. This is the day that the Lord will give you victory over Sisera. For the Lord is marching ahead of you. So Barak led 10,000 warriors down the slopes of Mount Tabar into battle. And when Barak attacked, the Lord threw Sisera and the, all of his chariots and warriors into a panic. Sisera leapt down from his chariot and escaped on foot. Then Barak chased the chariots and the enemy army all the way to Heroseth Hagoi, killing all of Cicero's warriors, and not a single one was left alive. Shout out to my Bible college professors for teaching me how to pronounce that one. <laughs> so all of a sudden, this miracle that shouldn't have happened, it was an impossible battle, and God wrought the victory. God brought the victory to his children. How did it go down? 
Well, we find in Judges chapter 5 that God caused such a violent rainstorm to come over the top of Mount Tabar. And rain flooded down and poured into the valley. The Bible says that the mountains shook as the rain came in. Do you know what is particularly ineffective in floodwaters? Iron chariots. Very heavy, can't move anywhere. So all of these iron chariots that were the biggest weapon of the enemy become paperweights essentially and the and the Israelite army can come in and God can give them the victory and the only guy who's left alive is the guy who's the worst of all commander Sisera he escapes on foot and he ends up near the tent of Jael so what do we know about Jael apparently more than we know than pastor Hooper knows about her <laughs> judges chapter 4 says this now Habar the Kenites was a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, had moved away from other members of his tribe and pitched his tent by the, by the oak of Zanim near Kadesh. Meanwhile, Sisera ran to the tent of, Hebar, of Jael, the wife of Habar, the Kenite, because Habar's family was on friendly terms with King Jabin. So here we see that, Kent, that, that Jael's husband is a fence-sitter. Okay, he's on, he's playing both sides. He's got the promises of the people of God because he's a descendant of Moses, family. So he's kind of in the circle. He's kind of around the church and the promises and, and what God has. But he's fit, sitting the fence because he's also got some kind of treaty with King Jabin. He's also made some kind of peace alliance with Commander Sisera. And so he's straddling the fence. He's on both sides, getting some from the world and some, some from the world and some from the church. And there are so many people that do this, that sit the fence, that are like, I'm kind of in church, I'm kind of in the world, I'm kind of in God's system, I'm kind of out for myself. And that's basically what Jael's husband was doing. He was straddling this fence, kind of playing it both ways. And nobody, nobody likes a fence sitter especially in sports, right? Especially in sports. I saw this meme on social media the other day, and it really hit home for me. It says, if you weren't with us at 5 and 12, don't be a fan when we go 6 and 11. <laughs> right? Pick a side. Pick a side. And that's, that's what I would say to Jael's husband, Hebar. I would say pick a side. He was playing both sides, benefiting from both. And so we see that, that he had set up his tents along one of the major roadways in Israel. And that's where Jael discovers Sisera. So somehow they're there. And I bet Jael had heard many stories of the brutality of Sisera. I bet she had seen even people, strangers, stumbling into her family's camp, beaten and bloodied by Commander Sisera. And I bet she had tended to some of their wounds. Their camp was right along the route. It would have been impossible for her not to notice. Verse 18, it says, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come to my tent, sir. Come in. Don't be afraid. So he went into her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. Please give me some water, he said. I'm thirsty. So she gave him some milk from a leather bag and covered him again. Stand at the door of the tent, she told him. If anyone comes and asks if there is anyone here, say no. But when Sisera fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. And she drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground, and so he died. Yeah, that's the R-rated part, okay? And I have so many thoughts, so many thoughts and questions of this text. First of all, we, one thing we know is that JL was a stay-at-home mom. Shout out to all the stay-at-home moms in the room. You ladies are tough, super proud of you. So JL's a stay-at-home mom, and this is how I imagine this going, okay? It's nap time. JL's got a variety of tents around her campsite. She has finally gotten the last toddler to fall asleep. And she has said to herself, if one more person comes into this tent and asks me for something, and lo and behold, here comes Sisera, right? And then what does he do? He asks and whines for a drink of water. And I think she just says, well, that's it. I'm going to peg you. And that's what she does. 
I don't know. I wasn't there. But as a woman and as a mother, I have been tired enough of people asking me for one more thing that I have been tempted to just, I don't know. <laughs> Battle lesson number three. Use what you have at hand when God calls you into action. Jael's family was a nomadic family. That means they set up their tents in an area, and then after that became ineffective, they moved their tents to another area. And every time they picked up camp, the women pulled up the tent stakes, the women packed the tents, and when they arrived at the new place they were going to camp, the women pounded in the stakes again and reset up the camp. So Jael was very familiar with the hammer and the tent peg. She knew how to handle them. Were they the best, most effective weapon? Nope. But she did what she could with what she had when she could do it. And that's the challenge for us as well. Do what you can with what you have that he's given to you. Stop obsessing about what you can't do. Stop obsessing about what you don't have. God knows what you have at hand. And if you don't have the resources you think you need, then you don't need those resources to accomplish what God is asking you to do. If you look around and you say, I don't, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough help. I don't have enough staff. I don't have enough people. I don't have enough. Then the truth is you don't need that thing to accomplish what God is asking you to accomplish. Because this is how God works. Over and over again in scripture, he uses a very simple thing to accomplish something huge. Five smooth stones and a slingshot took down Goliath. One tiny inch of flour fed Elijah at the hand of a widow through a famine for over two years. Five loaves and two fish fed 5,000. Jesus, God, they don't need a lot to accomplish what is facing them. And that's why pastor and theologian Matthew Henry says this, when you cannot do the good you would, do the good you can. When you cannot do the good you would, do the good you can. At, in the fall of 2020, our youngest son was seven years old. And he could look second grade, he looked around at school, and he could tell that the staff and the teachers at school were exhausted. And they were trying to figure out how to restart public education in the middle of the pandemic, and it was a disaster. And from his seven-year-old perspective, he saw these people are way stressed out. And so he came up with an idea. He said, I'm going to start teacher appreciation. So he went and scheduled a meeting with his principal, got permission, built a box, decorated it, brought it to school. Then he wrote a note to every kid in his school every week and said, this is the teacher we're nominating for this week. Please write your kindness notes and bring them back and put them in my box. And every week he passed out a note to every student in his school and every week he collected those notes. And then every week he went through them, got on the PA at seven and read the three best kindness notes to his entire school and then gave all the notes to that teacher or staff member. And he did this week after week after week until every teacher, every staff member in his entire school was blessed by this encouragement. Seven. Did he have a lot? No. But he, what he had in his hand, he used for the good of the people around him. And that's what JL does in this text. JL does the good she can do. She writes the wrong that had plagued God's people for 20 years. She ended Cicero's reign of terror. And what would have happened if she had hesitated? What would have happened if JL had, had paced around her camp thinking about what do I do? What do I do? What if JL had gotten down on her knees and been like, God, give me a sign. Give me a word. Should I peg him or not? What if she had gone to all the other women in the camp and said, okay, ladies, listen up. Um, there's a guy and he's sleeping in my tent. No, not like that. No, 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 not that. He's just, uh, just sleeping. And do you think I should peg him? No, she didn't do any of that. She knew it was her moment to act. And that's the fourth truth. When, God, when a God opportunity arises, recognize it for what it is and act. Keep your eyes open for these big opportunities because sometimes you just have to move quickly. Sometimes you just have to act. You can't wait. You just have to go and do. And that's why it's so important to start off every day with prayer. Every day saying, God, speak to me. Every day in the word, reading so that when the moment arises,
arises later in the day to act, you already know what the Spirit is saying. You already know what God is imparting to you. You already know that it's your moment to act. But so many of us talk ourselves out of our destiny under the guise of being careful and prudent, but really it's just a cover for being fearful. Some people say, well, I'm going I'm to pray about that. But what they're really hoping for is an excuse to get out of what we know God has already told us to do. You set the table that the generation after you will eat from. Change the system. JL changed the system. The system was that Cicero terrorized everyone. He took what wasn't his and he did not care about the consequences. And JL did something to change that system. And who knows what she saved with that action. Maybe she saved her own daughter's purity. Maybe she saved her family's livelihood. Maybe she saved her sons from getting caught up in King Jabin and joining Sisera and becoming murderers along the side. Who knows? But when God calls us to set the table for the generation that comes behind us, then that means we have to just act. We have to step up and do it. Back to our text, verse 22. When Barak came looking for Sisera, Jael went to meet him, and she said, Come, and I will show you the man you are looking for. So he followed her into the tent and found Sisera lying there dead with a tent peg through his temple. And so that day Israel saw God defeat Jabin, the Canaanite king. And from that time on, Israel became stronger and stronger against King Jabin until they finally destroyed him. I wondered how that happened, but... My son Azariah, age nine now, said, well, obviously they picked up all the um, iron technology and used it. Seems smart to me. This brings us to our fifth Bible lesson, number five. Refuse to allow shame and fear to limit you. This girl, she was gutsy, right? Ask yourself, what would I do if I was not afraid? Most doers of great things are afraid in the moment that they do the great thing. They just didn't let fear control them. They didn't let fear stop them. Fear can be a paralyzer, fight or flight or freeze, right? But also fear can be a warning sign to us, an indicator that we're about to step into something great. And that fear can indicate, wait, just one more step and you've accomplished something amazing. And if we allow fear to stall us out, we'll never get there. JL could have just let Brock discover the body on his own. His men were out looking for him, tracking him. She could have just held back and waited to see how things were unfold. Because if we're honest, she had no idea yet when she pegged him. She had no idea that he was the last man in his army standing. He could have been the only one to die for all she knew. And so Jael was taking a great risk to go to Barak and say, come and see the body of our enemy. She was bold. She spoke the truth to power. She didn't let fear stop her, and she was not allowing anyone to shame her. She said, here's the body. I did it. I pegged this guy. And they wrote a song about her. Judges chapter 5. Most blessed among women is Jael, the wife of Hebar the Kenite. May she be blessed above all women who live in tents. Not the best lyric. Sisera asked for water, she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him yogurts. And with her left hand, she reached for the tent peg. And with her right hand, the workman's hammer. And she struck Sisera with the hammer, crushing his head with a shattering blow. She pierced his temple. He sank, he fell, he lay still at her feet. And where he sank, there he died. They don't really write songs like that anymore. <laughs> Could you imagine next Sunday, those lyrics are up and Julie starts like belting it out. There he sank and died with, okay. It's not how it goes, right? It's not how it goes. But here's the truth. If you're facing a battle and you recognize the odds that you're facing are impossible. The battle you're facing is like, you're going into it with a couple sticks and a rock, hoping to take down iron chariots. Well, guess what? Our God is the God of impossible battles. He loves stories like Peggy's, where the diagnosis is impossible, but God does a miracle. 
And if you're facing a battle and you look at the story of your life and you say, this is impossible, then guess what? God's coming in. And maybe in the middle of that battle, in this moment, in your heart, you feel so alone, so isolated. God sent me here to tell you this, that you are not alone. He is with you. The Bible says one of the names for God is Emmanuel, God with us. And he is with us in the battle. He's with us in the storm. He's with us in the darkest of nights. He is with you. And he sent me here today to tell you, you are not alone. In spite of how you might feel, you are not alone in your battle. He goes before you. He goes behind you. He goes alongside of you. He makes you the head and not the tail. So if you're fighting a battle today, I'd like to pray for you. God, come to our rescue. Do what you did in the days of JL, where you shake the earth with a mighty rainstorm. You move heaven and earth to do what needs done to bring victory to your people again. God, we bring you our hurts and our heartaches. We bring you the battles we face, and we ask that you would get involved. We know that you're aware. We know that you care what we're going through, and we invite you to take control of the battle that we're fighting and to bring about victory. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, church family, we love you so much. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on a cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life and give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you have just prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to celebrate with you. Please text heaven to 94,000 to get in contact with one of our staff where we can answer any questions you may have. Also, if you need prayer, we would love to support you. You can submit your prayer request by texting prayer support to 94,000. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. If this is your first time experiencing Fellowship Church or you wanna learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text fellowship to 94,000 to connect with our staff. As always, we are just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week in person or online.